Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am Heavenly Mother coming to you on this beautiful Sunday. I don't know whatever time it is. I don't even know if it's a Sunday if that's when you're listening. But here we are. I am conducting and presiding over us from the high priesthood, high biblical council, another biblical member. We have Methuselah. Welcome, Methuselah. <laughs> I didn't know I, I didn't know I was presiding when I showed up, but now <laughs> that I'm here and you've told me I am. No one will be able to tell the difference. I've already assumed authority. Um, Word. I don't need people to stand for me, but uh, <laughs> I am ready to ready to, to receive, rumble <laughs> to receive uh, beverages first. Oh God, um, yeah. The sin-free cups, little paper ones. That's the best perk of presiding because you don't have control over the microphone, but you do have uh, you do have that perk. Just anyway. the authority, solid. So Methuselah is coming to us with a ancient topic that has permeated um, pretty much church culture, and also it's kind of deep because our one of our little plans is this topic as little ex-Mormons to reflect on how it continues to like spill over into our little lives. Um, so you do your little intro and then I'm kind of along for the ride here because I have yeah. tons of thoughts, but he's got defects and the information. So do your little intro. <laughs> yeah. As, as the patriarch I am, let me put on my <laughs> oh, professor hat um, and talk a little or bit about- Or is it an about... apron? Ooh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> as the wow. professor apron. I am so evil. <laughs> Okay, so, so oral tradition, right, is how we transfer stories uh, verbally without writing them down. Yeah. Right? And, you know, when you write down a story, like a culturally significant story, you kind of do it a disservice, right? Because you freeze it in time. Mm -hmm. If you don't write those stories down, they continue to be told and they evolve and they change. There's three types of oral traditions. I, there's a, several different ways to break them into different categories. But, but this, this is how one. you're doing it, yeah. This is how I'm doing it. This okay? is the original I, trademark. <laughs> I, that, that I may have borrowed from one of my old professors. But Solid. We, have, we have fairy tales, myths, and legends. Mm-hmm. So a fairy tale, when it is told, always starts with... A long, long time ago, mm-hmm. or once upon a time, or yeah. in a galaxy far, far away, something like that. There's like a little preface to it. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it's meant to tell you, to communicate to you, this story is completely fictional and completely metaphorical. Nice. It's an abstract for you, right? So like when I tell you like Little Red Riding Hood, for example, right? Like I am not telling you that this literally happened or mm-hmm. that this is a story, I've already communicated to you, you need to suspend your disbelief, there's going to be talking animals in here, right? Yeah, this, this is, yeah. I, you're s- telling me and, the world. You're taking me to the world. If, and if you want to understand the meaning of the story, you have to know that it's all made up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a legend is the opposite. Mm-hmm. A legend starts like this. So my brother had a roommate in college whose father went to Canada one time, right? 
So mm -hmm. instead of transporting you to another world, telling you to suspend your disbelief, my goal is to establish some sort of credibility and convince you that this is a thing that actually happened. In our world, yeah. Yes, in our world. Um, even though a legend is no more true than a fairy tale, right? Mm -hmm. But in order for you to like understand the meaning of the story, you have to know, you have to believe that this is real. And right? imagine it differently too. And imagine it. Um, and then a mythology, you know, like the Bible, uh, you're meant to do both. You're, most, you're supposed to meant to take it literally and consider it abstractly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're going to talk about legends. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Specifically, legends on the mission. <laughs> because there is no there is no more enthusiastic of a group of gossipers than missionaries <laughs> on splits, than missionaries coming home from a zone conference. No, no, nowhere else. And the stories we tell are really important. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and on the mission, like, like I have never been as repressed ever as I was for those two years. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's hell. Yeah. And you can't communicate your fears. Certainly, uh, you're not even if you're even aware of what you're scared of on the mission. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you're forced to kind of like you're just put in a mental box. And so. When that happens, like we express ourselves in, in any way we possibly can. And one is legends. Yes. Um, and, they, and they reveal often what we're really thinking and feeling. So Heavenly Mother, we're going to go <laughs> on and let's dissect some stories for me. I'm taking a lot of these stories from a subreddit thread that happened a few months ago, actually. I love that. You get it, Mafusa. You get those biblical stories. <laughs> you and I have discussed this previously. Certain legends are the same, but tweaked per mission. So in a lot of ways, I think missions are the origin of several Mormon folklores. So continue. <laughs> so the <Mormon>. first one. <laughs> also, I should say that a lot of these stories are told surprisingly in several different missions all at the same time. Yeah, that right? yeah, and that was that was something we had previously discussed that they're like the OG. Of oh yeah, like so if you've heard the mission, the story that I heard on my mission, you know, I was in Japan when you're in Ohio. Interesting. I was know? in New Mexico. Yeah, I was in New Mexico and in Texas, and you were in Brazil. <laughs> it's because yeah. <laughs> so I want to start with the baptismal font. <laughs> story, tell, story. Tell us the baptismal font, Jacuzzi. Have you heard this? No, tell it to me now. Well, I'll, let me tell you. Let me tell you, Heavenly Mother. <laughs> so my trainer, okay, uh -huh. was trained by this missionary who was kind of like the mission president's, like, golden child. Oh, yeah. You know that missionary? Yeah. Who's, like, AP skis. for, like, six transfers in a row. Yeah, and this one was a skis. Continue. I don't know if yours was, but mine was. Continue. So this guy... <laughs> For all intents and purposes, I think he was a cool guy. He trained my trainer, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then immediately died, right? Because mm -hmm. that's where he was in his mission. Yeah. And then my trainer trained me right before he died, right? So I killed my trainer. His trainer killed his trainer. So there's kind of a four-year gap between me and this missionary. Mm -hmm. But I've heard a lot of interesting stories that happened from the bygone time. Yes. Before, the, before my mission. And one was a story about uh, Elder 
pair and a sister missionary pair who realized that as ministers, they had the right in the state of uh, Japan, I guess, in my mission, to legally marry each other. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, because technically you're a missionary, you're a mission, you're a, you oh, know, like a legal minister, yeah, legal right? Minister. Mm-hmm. We had it on the visa. So these missionaries decided to marry each other off. Uh-huh. Because, and considering it's above board, right? Like they're, they're married. And so they would pair off into each other's apartments, right? To go, you know, and so they would meet together in the morning at the same place. They'd have breakfast together, right? And then they would pair off and they would go, you know, proselyte in their normal, you know, companionships, right? But then when they would, after they would get done planning, they would meet up again and swap back into their, you know, married couples and then go respect to their apart- respective apartments. And, oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Um, okay, and like, <laughs> depending on who tells this story, sometimes it gets wild, you know, like they'll have, you know. Embellishments embellishments more more sexual activity you know yeah uh, depending on the and, person telling it yeah for sure and usually somewhere in the story the the baptismal font is used as some sort of a jacuzzi oh my god right? the logistics were never explained to me okay because i don't think those get very warm uh but maybe it could be a giant bathtub i don't know giant bathtub with like four anyway the chances of someone walking in are very high though and so that's a real hold in the story. So, so, two, so this story ends in like two ways, actually. Okay. One yes. is that they're discovered in the baptismal font. Usually, oh, by, okay. like, usually by like the ward mission leader yeah, or someone, mm-hmm. right? That's uh, sometimes, sometimes the bishop gets a prompting oh. to go to church, <laughs> right? And then he, he walks in and then he discovers them, right? Jesus. Um, sometimes it's, it's the mission president that gets that prompting, right? Um, but the story that I heard most, uh, which I like, is that uh, the mission president, the APs, have the APs are call one of the missionaries for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. And they call they call the elders' apartment, and a, and the sister missionary picks up. <gasps> oh. Because this was a time before cell phones, right? They had landlines mm. in the apartment. Which actually dates the story, which is interesting enough. But yeah, I think so. so that's too. the that's the story number one. And so it totally changed. So a couple things that I think also tee funny. My mission had one similar. Okay. So just I'll piggyback off because they're gonna be paralleled. But hear me out. <laughs> my story: two sister missionaries that were a companionship fell in love and eloped. So obviously the homophobia be strong over in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Back to where we were. Your story, which I think is a thousand percent not true, but let's talk <laughs> about it on today's episode of Things That Never Happened. Things That Never Happened. So- um, oh, God. Which part do you want to... I mean, okay. I think something that really stood out to me is the three different ways that they were discovered. Because the story totally depends on the speaker and the Mm -hmm. listener. So if you're Mm -hmm. somebody who really eats up um, 
authority. You really eat up that your mission president is close to God, homies with God, so high five in Jesus. If that's mm-hmm. a, if that's the missionary speaker, they're gonna lean into that. Or if that's the missionary listener, because as story, you know, as human beings, we're natural storytellers. We kind of know our audience when you're talking with your friends. So I think that it totally depends on their pro- like their belief in the mission president's powers. And then what do you oh, think yeah. about the what kind of gets me is because the phone call is a purely embarrassing serendipitous so, story. So all all of the scenarios end with them being caught in the act. Which I think, which I find really interesting, right? Oh yeah, that's um, that's hella biblical because of the adulterous woman, right? Caught in the very act. So, so that's I like also want to preface: <laughs> we should have we should have front loaded the episode with this. I apologize to all of your listeners. We will <laughs> not be talking real stories at all. No, no, right? <laughs> so, so, so I want to preface: none of these stories ever happened. They were just the stories that we would tell each other, like campfire For stories, kicks almost, and right? giggles. <laughs> And it's really, it's really interesting to see, again, right, purposes that the, these kind of stories serve. And they always have some sort of karmic justice. They were caught in the act in a, in a dramatic fashion, right? And one of the things about the caught in the act or caught red-handed is that there is no room for forensic evidence. There's no room for debate. There's no room for maybe there's a misunderstanding. So the caught in the very act is a super smoking gun. But what really tickles me, and I give me your insight on your mission culture, the story where the ward mission leader finds them, what's that tied to? What's the value in that? Because mine were cool, but I never thought they were... So in in Japan, there was a lot of emphasis given to the ward mission leader. That was like a position of some kind of like renown within the ward. Mm. Um, ward missionaries here in America are kind of dunked on, like yeah, yeah, like we don't talk about them at all as being special. You know, it's, it's all about the missionaries. If that makes sense, I agree with you. I agree. I um, concur. But, I concur. But but in Japan, it's very different. The ward mission leader is like very much like he's in war. He's in the ward council, and like he people listen to him. You know. Um, maybe because it's like a more of a foreign, everyone's a convert, you know, in Japan. And so like, there's a lot, they're a lot more close to like the proselyting effort maybe, but, uh, but yeah, that now that, now that we're talking about that, that is something I didn't notice before. Yeah. It was very unusual to me. So I thought I would ask because I always loved my award mission leaders thought that was cool. I had one guy that was a little bit difficult, but it was more of his personality. It wasn't like he was out to get us or anything. He just um, had just a more difficult personality. That just was what it was. It wasn't mean or anything. He was very, very um, uh, nitpicky and detail-oriented, like, to a fault. Like, like Mr. Monk from The Monk Show, you know, like the detective. It's from the show from the early 2000s. But that was, like, his energy. But he wasn't like, I never had any bad experiences with the ward mission leader. I mean, I had some that really weren't very involved, but we just picked it up. You know, they like you were yeah. saying, they were not a big authority figure. We had learned to roll without them. And then also, I remember being a missionary and I told my companion that that was one of my dream callings was to be a female ward mission leader, even though we don't have any. Because, you know, mm. women are 
we are worms and we have no place <laughs> other than to that's a whole other, a whole other time the sexism but give, give us another story Methuselah <laughs> I was going to say like my I had a ward mission leader who protected the missionaries from the from the Yakuza but uh, that's a true story so it's not going to be talking yeah about don't that. share that story <laughs> I don't want I don't want to get like I don't know a horse's head in my bed or whatever okay so this one this one comes from Reddit are you ready yes there is a woman who despises the Mormons. Okay, <laughs> Right? Uh, does not like the missionaries. And as she sees them go from door to door, she decides that she wants to feed them a cake filled with rat poison. Oh, my God. So the, the way the story builds up to this is going to be different depending on who tells it, right? Usually you want a little bit more info, background about this lady. <laughs> uh, what exactly was wrong, was like done wrong to her to necessitate murder and also a little <laughs> bit of information about how the cake was made or presented. Um, you can smell <laughs> rat poison. Like, I don't it's know pretty who hard. told this story. So, regardless, somehow, <laughs> somehow, okay, uh, she feeds them the cake and the missionaries eat it. That's the most believable part of the story, honestly, is that it smells like rat poison and you continue to eat it. You, you can literally uh, smell it. Like, it's not... <laughs> It looks believable, though. Like, I'm just going off my own personal experience. Anyway, so afterwards, uh, the missionaries, like, set up a return appointment or whatever, like, as they leave, and they make their return appointment. They just show up like nothing happened, right? And this woman is so surprised that she did not, in fact, succeed in murdering two young men. Um <laughs> That she ends up, like, taking the discussions, like, you know, earnestly and ends up being baptized. Oh, my God. I love this story. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm about to laugh so loud for so long. Sorry. I have a hard time telling the story earnestly, like, straight the whole way through and, like, no. just kind of leading up to it. Oh, my God. I have to stop. I need to calm myself down. I love everything about this story because it is so full of holes. So no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, okay. Let's just let's get it out there. I love the fact that our assailant is a woman. (laughs) Oh yeah. Because I okay, this is such a true reality, and it's gonna get a little grim, but I'll make it funny. Women commit two percent of crimes statistically. 98% of crimes are committed by men. If that statistic has changed, prove me wrong. But it's so, so funny that in so many legends, we put women on this equal playing field for violence when that isn't the case at all. And anytime a marginalized person commits a crime, we always seem to know about it. And that's intentional. So I think it's so funny that this leaned in perception of violence which is actually super rare is used in the story also um i mean i'm sure you sensed it the first time you read it doesn't it sound like a post medieval european fairy tale with a little witch you know like oh absolutely it totally reads just like that and then she has but their virtue was so great (laughs) it overpowered and they bust out of the gingerbread house 
or just what have it definitely has the same energy right it totally does and then this is something that i thought about and again i'll make it funny because it is disturbing just how unsafe missionaries actually are because you do accept food from people that you do not know very well and you could have an allergic reaction to something that you've never eaten before so i think that there is a real fear as missionaries that we just suppress when we go into strangers' homes and when we eat other people's food. And this story really hits those nerves. And, yeah. I mean, the biggest hole, which I, we immediately jumped on, is the fact that you can smell rat poison. <laughs> like, you can you smell it. And remember, this is biblical, right? Because when Jesus sets apart, I think it's the Quorum of the Seventy or whatever, you know, like he gives mm-hmm. them a blessing as they go out to proselyte. And one is that they'll handle snakes without being bitten and that like poison won't affect them. That same promise is echoed to Joseph Smith and like or by Joseph Smith, sorry, in the Doctrine and Covenants uh, when he's setting apart people. So you have mm. that as well being added where we are protected. Oh, which and is. Then- you keep going. I have another thought, but you go. Okay, so that's dangerous, obviously, too, and still too hard in young men, but oh, another, women. Out. Oh, yeah. Uh, the part that also kind of gets me that I noticed right away is this woman who just attempted murder, double homicide in the first degree because it's premeditated. Uh, is so utterly redeemable in the story that that is so concerning. I don't want to go to a church with a person who <laughs> who contemplated and attempted murder against two people who she did not know. You know what I mean? Well, like, she did try to murder us, but she's fine now. She was chained, but that goes. Yeah. I mean, the, listeners, listen to the episode called "Forgiveness Culture." That plays into the toxic forgiveness culture that the church has. Or you have people who have done the unspeakable, but we're like, it's okay now. The Lord forgave them. Like, I can't handle that bullshit. It's so enabling to actual perpetrators. But it well, reminds... <laughs> Sorry, you go. Let me cut you off. Well, part of it, too, I think, is that as missionaries, you're treated really horribly a lot. Yeah. Right? Every day. And day. so there's this kind of this, maybe this fantasy that these people who are treating you so bad now... If they were to just listen to you and be converted, then they would be pleasant, amazing people. That's, I mean, that's also, I mean, I believe you on that 1000%, but as a non-missionary looking back, that's also false because... Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, good, good people are good no matter what the circumstances and bad people are bad no matter the circumstances. I mean, I already told you this story in a voice message. Okay, but I won't tell that story. It's nothing to do with the topic. But there's a really funny... I like this a drag queen called Bob the Drag Queen, and he's this really funny story. And the point is that the villain in the story had like a really life-changing event, but the villain in the story did not change at all. And so Bob the Drag Queen's point was like, this person was a turd. <laughs> like, it didn't matter <laughs> what happened. They were always going to be a bully. Like, But anyways, uh, yeah. So you can give us another one if you <laughs> if you're ready. All right. So this next one, this next one, I I heard on my mission for sure, and I've heard that a lot of other people have also heard it on theirs. I'm curious to see if you've heard it. The quorum of the twelve apostates. No, but I like the sound of it. Yeah. 
Okay. So basically, I'm trying to think of how the story is usually told. Sometimes it's like, this is a mission somewhere else. And then other times it's, so two mission presidents before us in this mission, there was a secret society of missionaries that formed. And they called, they called themselves the 12 apostates. Wow. They had their own secret handshakes. Okay. They had their own kind of like zone conferences, right? And they had their own uh, ways to identify each other, right? And how they do that will depend completely on whatever mission it's told in. Yeah. Uh, so the one that I'm copying from Reddit, they had a, uh, they had a, like a necklace that they would wear. Hmm. Right? So what they would do, right, is you can, you can imagine, a missionary can imagine what a group of 12 apostates would do, right? Yeah. Because especially in a foreign country, like you're out in a foreign country, you're, you're, you want to do whatever. You want to party it up for Satan, right? <laughs> and so you would arrange secret exchanges, right? Because you, you might not be always paired at companions with another 12 apostate, right? Mm -hmm. I guess there's only 12 of you. That's always kind of iffy. How many? Was there only 12 at a time? Whatever. Yeah. But, but you wouldn't always be with an apostate companion. And so you would, they would orchestrate different ways where they could meet up and then like go see a movie or go to a strip club or whatever. By drugs. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the initiations vary, right. On how to, how to go into it. Like you have to dye your garments black or sew a jewel into your garment in some, some way. Usually, Usually the initiation was like, you need to deface the garment in a blasphemous way so you can join our secret, our secret society. Uh, sometimes it's like you have to go home, take a photo of yourself at your home, and then come back. Wow. Is, is the initiation uh, with certain foreign missions. Like, I think ours had to do something with like going, climbing to the top of Mount Fuji, which is outside of the mission. Uh Kind of, kind of this kind of stuff, right? Mm. And then you can get, then you would get admittance into the secret society. Uh, and you know, and of course, you just you know, date people have have debauchery. All the things, yeah. All the things, all, all, all the, the things that you can imagine, right? Drugs, like all, uh, the, rules. all the rules yeah. are broken, right? And then usually. They are outed in some horrific, some cool, dramatic fashion. In the story that was told in my mission, it was kind of anticlimactic. It was just kind of like they quartered them, like they they rounded all of them up. They were all sent home, and then I think the mission was dissolved or something like that. Like they had to reorganize the missions to mix mix everybody up. Hmm. Uh, was was how it was told in my mission. But this one I read online is oh the best. Oh my god! Are you ready? Yeah, I'm so ready. So, the in either the area authority or a quorum of the twelve apostles, whoever is over your area is going to be picked, right? Like for us, it would have been Bednar. If you're, you know, whatever the apostle who's over your area arrives at the mission, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of two things happened. One is they he had them all line up and he shook everyone's hand. And then occasionally he would like, he gave a signal, you know, if he thought that the person was an apostate, right? I did hear and then the he story. would kind of be collected, right? He would like sort the missionaries. And it was like, you know, a ton of them would have got selected and they got banished. Uh, the other is that is that while while he was visiting the because they all wore necklaces, right? The authority tells the sister missionaries to leave the room, instructs all of the elders to remove their shirts, and then everyone with the like wearing the necklace or whatever gets sent home. Or they would see their garments are dyed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Or or they would see the garments or whatever yeah. whatever their secret combination was. It was exposed. Right, and they were yeah. dealt with. I did hear... The quorum an, of the Twelve Apostates. I did hear an element of this story, which is the quorum of the Twelve general authorities coming down, shaking hands, knowing who's worthy and who's not, and kicking them out. I did hear that on yeah. my mission. So this story has several really important pieces. And obviously, I think that the purpose of this story is very McCarthyism, very 1984. Somebody's always watching you, and your unworthiness is going to get found out. I also think that this story is a way to explain the simple reality that a lot of missionaries are very disobedient. And there is, I personally see no morality to that within certain limits. You know, obviously, if you're breaking laws or you're being deceptive, or you're being just a bad person, I think that that's immoral. But if you're a missionary and you and your companion decide to, like, break a little tiny rule or, you know, you're in a mental prison. But as you and I know, as anybody that served a mission, any obedience is seen as, oh, my God, alert the media. Like, it's seen as this huge deal. So I think this story serves a really good purpose of saying that, People that break rules and people that are disobedient have a big scheme. And there's a, a bigger reason other than I couldn't take it anymore and I had to, I had to watch a movie. <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore and I went to Blockbuster or we went to a movie theater or I couldn't take it anymore and we played video game or I couldn't. And so also there are missionaries who are not part of any big old scheme and they break more serious rules that are very normal young behavior and that has to be reasoned with for the rest of the missionaries yeah that this elder okay i'm gonna say um elder uh elder goat <laughs> elder elder goaties and elder lammies you know fooled around with some sister missionaries and they weren't married you know they didn't have a secret marriage or anything that's such normal young adolescent behavior but it would get all of them sent home and then people that knew yep. elder lamb or knew elder goat would say they were such nice men they were i felt the spirit when they taught i never saw this coming and so it, it's hard to rationalize because the, the truth is the rules that are broken most of the time are really petty and dumb um and then, you know, occasionally you have those other examples. But I definitely think it's a way to scare people into behaving, but also letting those who are obedient know. You know, when people break rules, it's because they're really bad. They're really bad yeah. people. Most of the well, time, it's not true. 
Well, also, there was an elder in my mission who truly, like, what is it, DGAF? Like, like truly, I think, was mentally out, like, the whole time, right? Yeah. And he had, like, a weird power, honestly. Because What's... can you imagine, like, I think he was there just for cultural reasons or, like, family reasons, right? But I think he was completely, like, mentally out, and so he would just be like, he'd just do whatever he wanted. You know what I mean? Because like, he's like, no one can control me. Like, I don't care. Like, I literally don't care. You can send me home. What's that? What's that stand for? DGIF? What did you say? DJ? Oh, don't give a fuck. Oh, okay. I said, right? I thought it was you like just a like, term, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, where you just totally don't care. And like, that's weirdly powerful amongst missionaries, right? Because most of us were so full of shame. Like, I know I was. Like, man, I felt so bad if if I felt like I wasn't living up to some expectation or if I was breaking rules that when you're exposed to a missionary who really doesn't, you know, it's... It is powerful. You, you see somebody who's mentally out of the prison. And so I think that that story... And I mean, that story does have very many Book of Mormon references with like the Gadianton robbers or different things yeah, like that. Yeah, there's a lot of that. It's feeling like Assassin's Creed halfway Knights Templar to be honest at the beginning of that. Um, but definitely this idea of someone else is going to perceive my unworthiness is very terrifying. Um, and we felt that as missionaries too. Um, and just just weird it breeds a lot of secrecy we didn't have any missionaries that just didn't give an f um <clears throat> we had missionaries break some rules some were big some weren't that big but i mean the biggest piece the largest piece i mentioned it before with laban is you're punished for your thoughts you know so like i had a an yeah. elder who was had a, a crush on a woman in a ward they're like the same age and he never acted on it, but he had a crush on her. And I mean, we all included were like, oh, no, like losing our minds, <laughs> thinking that the worst possible thing, you know, they were. And he said, he's like, I just yeah. can't be alone with her. I just have to make sure we're never alone in the same room. Like that wouldn't happen anyway. You're a missionary. But we were all losing our minds and he was transferred. And it was yeah. this huge deal when like they're both people in their young 20s who happen to be attracted to each other and nothing even happened. But he was, I mean, he was totally handled as if he was. <laughs> like, I know, yeah, absolutely again, not. And she, she reciprocated the same feeling. She had a crush on him, so, too. I mean, this is. Well, well so, so, here's, so here's another story that might illustrate this. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. There were missionaries messing around at the MTC. Okay. They decided it would be fun, elders, to lay their hands on a steel post and give it the ironic priesthood. Okay. Lightning struck. Oh my god, that never happened. Killed, <laughs> killed all three of them. Oh my on the spot. Atlanta. And the strangest thing, the strangest thing, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Oh my god. I mean, that's clearly so false. And geez. Oh, you know, another legend I heard because the sexism is always going to, you know it. With Mormons, the sexism is going to come and clutch every time. There was a story, and this is in several missions. So if you heard this story, guess what? It never happened. Some sister missionaries 
because it's always the sisters, right? These dumb women um, were running low on gas. So they put water in their gas tank and then prayed that it would turn into gasoline and they wrecked a car. That story was said to me by like a zone leader telling us, don't do stupid things, sisters. (laughs) It never happened. But it was one of those things where, like, yeah, they just thought that their faith would bring it back. Ha, 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 and laughed. What's so funny now in retrospect, and I was thinking about this, like, when you told me this topic, I was thinking about this. This is such an urban legend piece of trash. Is that if that story was true, those sisters really aren't that crazy. Because every Mormon has heard a story equally crazy, but faith-promoting. So, weirdly, I've heard that same story, but it did turn to gasoline. Oh, my God. Like, like, Literally. Like there, is a, like, there is a version of that story where they're stuck on the side of the road, they're completely out of gas, and they put water in it and pray, and it turns into gasoline. And I heard the opposite so, story. So, so, it can exist. Both can exist, right? They teach different morals or whatever. It depends on the but, speaker. But, yeah. It, de- it depends on the speaker, how those stories go. And then I did hear a legend. I don't know if you would have heard this because you were in Japan, but I think for stateside missionaries, this is going to hold true because I met with another, you know, American serving mission. And there's like this person who's like a major pothead type Rastafarian sometimes, Mm. depending on where you're hearing the story. And they're like, I'm going to read this book of Mormon and every page I'm going to roll into a blunt and smoke it. And they do it with the whole Book of Mormon. And at the end, they're like, well, I know it's true. And then they get baptized. <laughs> this story spread around my mission. That's, that's like, a fantastic crazy. story. That is fantastic. And different pieces. And, uh, you know, this was totally a legend that would fall through because you would say, well, what, which elder was that? Well, it was a couple back. Well, what area? Oh, it was in Odessa. Oh, it was in... Amarillo. Oh, it was in Roswell. Oh, it was in... It kept changing. And I heard that story from sister missionaries and from elder missionaries. So I knew it didn't... It, didn't, it never happened. The story never happened. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is amazing. That's the best story here, I think. <laughs> just, 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 just this guy. Just this... Being, yeah, I know it's true, man. That's how they tell it. <laughs> and then he was and then he never smoked again of course they couldn't give me the name of the convert of course which area was yeah, yeah, it yeah. it never happened I, well the the perp- it, it doesn't need it doesn't it's not true it doesn't have to be true you just have to believe it right <laughs> but what do you think the point of um, that story is <laughs> I, I mean that's great I'm, first of all it's hilarious you can tell a story just to be entertaining right um, yeah. It has it has the bonus of a cool guy getting baptized because yeah, of, it's you know be a raw safarian, uh, the pa- <laughs> the power of the Book of Mormon you know or whatever <laughs> you know the types of miracles part of it is just hilarious it's a hilarious story it is it totally didn't happen also if this I mean and then the time frames would change she smoked the whole Book of Mormon oh how long did that take him he did it in a night really every page I'm sorry. I know how many insane. How how much weed does this man have? It was wild, um, but that one I think it was funny and yeah, a super cool person. The power of the Book of Mormon. I think you're exactly right, and 
it was it was one of those things. And then I mean, we had mission stories that were like half truths, but those aren't really worth sharing because I think the point of those were to be entertaining. Where you're like, oh, yeah. that kind of happened, but it didn't. <laughs> um, so because I had a beach in my mission, uh, several. There was the story of the missionaries that were out on the beach, one getting, like, washed away. Mm-hmm. Just, like, a wave comes and just, like, grabs them, just, like, yanks them out to sea. So, yeah, yeah I've heard that one. Um, sometimes there are, there are versions of the story where he gets saved miraculously, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, depends on the speaker. how the story got transmitted, right? And the, the audience uh, and the speaker. There's also... The the guy who submitted his mission application, but was denied, uh, or or was he denied, or he was called to the spirit world, and then like dies in a car crash a few days later. Yeah, that that after that receiving story. a strange mission call. That yeah, they have a patriarchal blessing, and it says like you'll serve a mission in strange places or something, and then he died. Dies two years later. One. Yeah. Yeah, it dies two days later. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one a lot. That's so freaking toxic, David A. Bedar, faith to be healed, faith not to be healed shit, you know? It's, it's parallel. It's parallel to me. Oh, for sure. I did have David A. Bednar, while well, I'm using his A, David Bednar um, come to my mission, and I was so nervous with him coming because I felt like we were going to get reprimanded or something. And then he, like, came into our room, like, for the big big meeting with us all. And he's like, if there's any of you that thinks I'm here to rebuke you or are nervous, it's not that at all. My companion was like, oh, my God, he said that to you. Like, it was meant to be. And I think about shit like that all the time. Like, the head yeah, games. the hero that... worship is pretty bad. Yeah, the head I never... games. Yeah. Bednar also came to my mission. It, it... Yeah, the... This is a tall tale. This, this happened, but uh, yeah, it's weird. It is. Yeah, yeah mine's not. Mine's not a tall. There's no legend with it. It just is. The story I think of General Authorities is its own legend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like them. Period. Is is a legend. So, so let's talk about Mission President having mag- uh, magical powers. Then shall we? Yes, of course. Always. So, I'll tell you the story that it was in my mission. Okay, but there's versions in a whole bunch. Missionaries were riding home uh, from their outing. Because it's more interesting, let's say it was after curfew. They were in a rush to get home. They felt bad that they were out late, but, you know, what can you do? A lesson went over. A car swerves and hits one of the missionaries. He tumbles. His bike is okay, but his arm is clearly broken. He cannot move his hand. The man who hits him comes out and the missionaries are freaking out, right? Because they need to go to a hospital. They don't have insurance set up. They don't understand how this is going to work. This is Japan, right? And the, the driver says, oh, no, 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 it's fine. I'll heal you. Missionary is like, what are you talking about? And the driver turns out was from, was a member of the Mahikari, which is kind of a religious group. It's mm-hmm. local to Japan. And they believe in channeling power through the palm of your hand. And so this man, driver, pulls out his hand, kind of like he's, I don't know what you describe this gesture, like giving a forced push or something, <laughs> and just kind of like 
Wom 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 heals the guy's arm. His arm unbreaks and starts being whole. He starts moving his hand, right? Now, naturally, as the mission and the new guy gets back in his car, drives off, right? And so, naturally, missionary pretty shaken up, pretty shaken up. And as they get home, you know, they're they're reporting and they call the mission president and they're just like, uh. So we had the weirdest thing happen today, and I'm, we're really freaking out about it. And so the mission president goes over to kind of like assess how they're doing, right? And the missionary who has his arm healed is also feeling a little bit weird, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit fearful, a little bit like maybe there's no power in this church, right? Mm-hmm. That, that they have it all wrong. And then when the mission president arrives, you know, he's just happy to see that both of them are safe after being hit by a car, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, the young mission, the missionary that was hit, usually it's a senior junior companion. I forgot about this. And so it's the younger missionary that gets hit, right? It's the junior yeah. companion uh, who's just arrived, you know, eyes full of hope. And he says, you know, I'm, ha- I'm really struggling because... This guy made my arm better and the bone was sticking out and everything, you know. And the mission president's like, well, let's let's just give you a blessing just to make sure. Right. And so he, you know, puts his hands on his head and gives him a priesthood blessing. And as he's giving him the blessing, the arm re-breaks. Ba-ba! I heard the same exact story. I mentioned it on with my episode with Laban, who also serves stateside in the southeast United States and he hadn't heard that story but I heard it and fun little twist it's not a missionary's arm who breaks it's an investigator and, ah. the, and the the witchcrafty healer is I mean the racism racism is a Native American shaman <laughs> that's the version <laughs> that we had it's never happened it's racist but it's never yeah. happened <laughs> But the same, the arm re-breaks, and in my story, it was not the mission president, it's the missionaries themselves who heal this uh, investigator, and their arm Interesting. And that person... Interesting. Yeah, converts. So, it's a, I mean, the racism is racism. So, in this one, it's, you know, don't believe in the cultural, culturally and ethnically specific practices of the locals. That's part of the story. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge oh, for piece sure. of the yeah. story. Mm-hmm. It's so funny to me that in both times the healer is a man. Anyways, even though like most Native oh, Americans yeah. are matriarchal, because it's still within the Mormon context, you still have your Mormon blinders oh, on yeah, yeah. hearing the story. Um, and mm-hmm. so, women in authority or women being able to heal is really unheard of. And then another piece that I think is interesting is that it's always the arm, which is curious. Mm-hmm. And then the way that the arm is broken is very different because this arm broke from a fell. But they fell on it. They had fallen or something. Uh, but it wasn't a car. Yeah. And then who has the authority? I mean, ultimately, it's the church. It's the priesthood who does it. Yeah. But for you, it was the mission president. For us, it was some, so, some elder. So also, also, you have to understand, too. So Japan is... I don't like, I don't like it when people say missions are harder than others, right? Mm-hmm. Because... I think if you have a really bad mission president, it doesn't matter where you are. It's going to be a hard mission, right? Yeah. Um, but, but Japan, you don't have a lot of investigators. You have a lot of finding activities 
it gets really rough when you don't have, when you go for two transfers and you don't teach anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea that a missionary would get healed by someone else and immediately start having doubts is interesting that it's in the Japan story, but not in yours. Uh, it's also interesting, right, that the missionaries right away are able to do it, right? Whereas, like, in Japan, like, no, they have to call out for the mission president who comes and, like, reassures them of their purpose and whatnot, right? Um, them being hit by a car, I think, is just we're on bikes all the time. And so being hit by a car is super likely. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a fear. So it's just like the cake story. Yeah, it's a fear. Real, and, real and, fears are comforted through the car and, story. And it happens. I knew like two missionaries that got hit on by cars on the mission, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I mean, it's just interesting. Same story, but it plays out differently. The, some pieces are the same and then some pieces are different. Also, with the car hitting the missionary thing, it totally ties in with the cake story because you have very real fears that do remind me as an outsider now looking in just how unsafe missionaries are. Because yeah. you're riding bikes at night in the dark. Um, just riding a bike all day in general, cars are dangerous. And so... Ooh, you know, also as a third party, it's so funny because who the caring nurturer is in your story is the mission president. So it also serves to help your mission. Like you were saying, he comes over and reminds them of their purpose. Like, you can trust in me. I'm here to help you. Um, whereas you and I both know the majority of the time mission president give a flying hook about the missionaries. Or some of them do. Most of them don't. And then in my story, these missionaries are the ultimate heroes saving the investigator, saving the person. They're the, the missionaries are there for you. I did hear another version of the story um, in Texas, because so my mission was two states, New Mexico and Texas. So the New Mexico one, very native, phobic, very racist. In the Texas one, it was a Bible Belt preacher who heals them. And Mormons even in Texas, usually don't know the difference between Pentecostal, Jehovah Witnesses, Baptists. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they couldn't even say, well, what denomination was this priester? Oh, he's one of those out there. Whatever. Mega church ones. They'd add different pieces, but it's whoever is the cultural norm to be trusted. Because Native people don't have a large uh, cultural presence in Texas like they do in New Mexico. And so it totally shifts for who is the cultural authority and they're, they're well, wicked well you know in the old temple in the old temple endowment there was a preacher like that was a role mm. did you know this so mm. s s satan has a preacher damn so satan comes and is like hey you're gonna go teach these people and you're gonna teach them these things kind of stuff right wow. so for so for missionaries to have some oral tradition of some shady preacher, right, that has is endowed with foul magics of some sort, right? Then it's it goes back to that. I found the story online where the sister missionaries pray and it turns into gas, and it's accompanied with another one, Ooh. which is okay. Sister missionaries and car problems, big theme here. Just yeah, putting that out there. <laughs> uh, so their car is dead in a bad part of town. And so they pray, they turn the engine, the car starts. The next morning, after they drive back to their apartment, they, they pop the hood 
and there's no battery in the car. It sounds like their battery got stolen overnight, not gonna lie. Like that's, that's exactly how I would I read that happened. story. But but I think time. but I think the implication was uh the like the battery was gone the whole time. Oh. Jesus. These are these are these are <laughs> like they're better than tender mercies, right? Like oh these are God. miracles. <laughs> these are miracles. You saying that term? Tender so, mercies. Just say it one more time. It sounds. It sounds like a. It sounds like a. Like a chicken platter or something. That's what I was saying. It like, sounds very. I'd like the tender dessert. mercies, please. Yeah, dessert rented. I totally forgot about that term. If that I is- if I had a, if I had like a wing and drink pub place in Utah, it would be tender mercies, and they'd be chicken tenders. With- you could do it here anywhere, and it would still be funny. You know what? That term ignites me so you know i have those words i don't like that just like really give me the ick yeah (laughs) does the opposite where like it instantly makes me laugh like it's so dumb and funny and so mormon niche and every time i would hear it as a mormon i'd be like jesus that's so dumb but like it still gets me what's it tender mercies and that is a really great name for a wing place it's just, it always sounded so cringe. I hope that's in my cheesy corny episode. I don't know if we went listening to it again if we mentioned Tender Mercies. But you're right. These are actual miracles. They're more than Tender Mercies. <laughs> I just love that word. Ugh. There's also the Three Missionary Story. That was published somewhere, and that got retold a lot. But you'll hear versions of that told. You're familiar with this one, right? Start it, and I'll see there, there, There's a serial killer. Oh my god. Or something. And <laughs> the sister missionaries knock on his door. His MO is young women, of course. And they they they're like, you know, they do the normal tract, you know, and he's like, uh, sorry, I'm busy. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Like, you know, closes the door. It's real awkward, closes the door. They think it's really weird. Anyway, later these girls notice this guy on like a wanted poster or something like that, call him in. And in this story, we're going to skip ahead to the court case because somehow we're, we're going to do that. <laughs> and he was confused or or he's talking to the cops. I, I forget how the story set up, but he's explaining to them that like how he got found. Like, how did how did you find me or whatever? Right. Oh, no, that's what it is. The detective is asking him about the girls because he's like, hey, these two girls showed up on your doorstep and you didn't do anything. What was up with that? He's like, well, the girls are fine. I was terrified of the three muscly dudes behind him. Ba-da-ba. Right. Yeah, I've I've heard that story. So, I've heard three that Nephite story stories. I've heard that story so many times. I do. God. Again, taps into the very real fear and reality that as a missionary you are super unsafe. So wouldn't it be nice if there were spiritual protectors that could manifest? It also reminds me of that part in Lord of the Rings where Samwise has the elfin sword. And so the orcs imagine him as this like scary, terrifying elf warrior that's just going to, you know, smoke yeah. their boots. But really, it's cute little Samwise. So it rings similar to that to me. Also, yeah. um, you know, 
the Mormon folklore legends of protection always are like salt in the wound for all the missionaries who don't get protected. You know what I mean? Like God has favorites yeah. type vibes. Faith not to be healed again. Oh, they've been there. Um, well, I also was told that there were a ring of missionaries surrounding the MTC. Yeah. No, no, okay. ring of sorry, ring not ring of missionaries, ring of angels, right, surrounding the MTC. And then there's rings of angel. There's there's demons waiting outside the temple. That's scary as hell, God. Um, so definitely those little spiritual phobias are placed. But I have I've I, heard I f- the. Yeah. I feel like the angel stories were probably more popular a couple generations back. I feel like they've kind of gotten less. I feel like our parents' generation had a lot more stories oral traditions involving like angels and demons folklorish yeah folklorish we're a little bit more grounded in reality i think our current generation i mean that's fair that's solid i think that that's a solid observation and then uh but you know what i bet it will come in waves i bet it's gonna come in waves and it's gonna need time because if the church is still on its last legs which it is the cat's out of the bag um, people are going to have like COVID miracle stories that never happened, you know? Oh yeah, that's true. Usually those take uh, 10 to 20 years to happen. Though. That's what I was about to say. It's about 20 years. Um, but then suddenly yeah. everyone will remember all the, all the miracles of COVID that happened during COVID. Even though yeah. like, there was like none. Um, so I think for sure, for sure. Do you have any more Mormon folklores? Of course, of course I have more. <laughs> mission did folklore. you, did you have any exorcism stories in your mission? You know, I did. Let me think. No, the big one was just the arm re-breaking BS. And yeah. then I had, I had my own, I won't get into it because it's not really legendy, but I had some bizarre, what I would call spiritual experiences on my mission that I haven't quite figured out, but I know the church isn't true, so that's not anything to do with it. But those stories, those spiritual scary stories that I had, um, the Mormon priesthood blessings didn't work. So (laughs) either the demons were really real or something else was afoot here. But it wasn't a testimony builder because we do all these things to cast it out and it would come back. So for listeners, there's a really good episode by um, Bishop Jensen and Elder Jackson where they talk about, like, speak of the devil. And that really captures, like the Mormon devil experience. Um, but what, what were your exorcism stories? Did you have any? So my, again, this is my trainer's trainer who was an AP forever. Oh, of course. So four years ago. So it's hard to, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but my trainer was really convinced, right? So he told it very convincingly. Again, I can't vouch for this at all, but that, you know, there were missionaries that would mostly because Japan is very old. And so if you talk, and there's a ton of stories about like this tunnel has demons inside of it. Right. And missionaries, we always had a hard time grappling with Japan's really rich history of monsters. Honestly, like there's so many different types of monsters like yokai, which are almost like fairies and like demons, you know, all all of different varieties. But basically that a missionary, you know, had just like a really bad feeling or he started seeing something. And so the mission president would go over and uh, usually give a blessing or bless the house and it would seem to solve issues. 
I think mental health, I, I mean, the, the truth of these stories, I think, is just mental health really suffers. And sometimes you're really, really depressed and you need something magical to keep you going. That's so fair and true and deep. And I have my own opinions now about spirituality and they're so anti-Mormon because when there's that episode um, me and Mary Magdalene did about like what we find scary as ex-Mormons versus Mormons and Mary Magdalene pointed out like the simplicity and the propaganda of horror movies where like do these three things and then your house isn't haunted anymore. <laughs> like this, like do these yeah. little steps and then you'll be free forever from this problem. And that's not how anything in life works. So if hear me out, if demons and spirits and all those little jazz is real, why would three steps <laughs> work when nothing else yeah. in life works like that? So I think that, um, well, because more often than not, just like you said, these spiritual experiences are tied to mental health physical health, emotional health. Um, and they're not, again, not easily fixed. Like there's steps, well, there's time, there's things that would go to. Into and, and there's a definite need for your mission president to have real spiritual gifts. You know, he needs real spiritual power, uh, partially because I think you give him a lot of authority. And so if he didn't have power, what else is there? You know, we don't have time in this one, but in the future, the paternalism of the church is something that as ex-Mormons, it takes a long time to unlearn because as a member of the church, especially as a missionary, you're put in the role of like a child and there's a parent all the time. Um, and so I think your mission president needs to be this godlike father figure um, who protects you and scares away the scary things. Um but, I mean, part of the missionary experience is to, like, literally be full of fear at all times. Whether it's yeah. shame, whether it's literal fear, spiritual fears, yeah. it's all the time. So you hear these stories that are comforting or I'll be protected. Um, but eventually what happened to me, and I don't know if this happened to you, I ended up getting indifferent about my own mortality. Like, well, and that's super sad, but that's clearly a sign of bad mental health. But I didn't know yeah. it at the time. I mean, I just learned how to disassociate very quickly and <laughs> very yes, effectively, effectively and, and kind of pulled out of it. But and then also like with Mission Legends, this amount of information that would be twisted into something else, you know, like ugh, they'd make up their own legends based off of like loose information that wasn't how like I had a sleep paralysis experience. And I told the story to my sister training leaders and they totally mutated the story and added all this other crazy stuff that didn't happen. <laughs> and I was how like, perfect. no, none of that happened. I can, t I'm still here. It isn't That's how it the works. sister from four years ago. I'm, I can still tell exactly what happened when I had a sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> like, um, and it's just, it's so interesting. All right. I have one more. Are you ready? Uh, yes. We'll end it. <laughs> so this one, so this one I heard in the MTC, but the version that I found online is way more brutal. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell the brutal one. This is an, this is a mission where you had a laundry machine that you would take your clothes to be washed at. Word. Mm -hmm. Right. Same. And in this area, the missionaries had an appointment on P-Day, which happens sometimes, right? 
because that's the only time an investor is able to meet or whatever. And so they had to start their laundry and then leave to go teach a lesson, and then they'd come back to do their stuff later, right? And when they came back, someone had hung up their garments in full display to the public. Uh, usually this is done in mockery of some sort, obvious, right? Obvious mockery. It'd be horrible if someone just, like, was trying to be nice and was just, like, hanging up their clothes That's for That's actually what I just <laughs> thought. So yeah, no, but this, this, in order for the story to work, like, it is, like, mocking, you know, maybe they write on them or something, I don't know. But in a mocking gesture, they, they mm-hmm. proudly display these garments, right? And the missionaries are, have to very uh, sheepishly collect their clothes and and leave. And then as they leave, of course, like... You know, they they dust their feet at the laundry place. Mm-hmm. Boy, That's mentioned in DNC. Vaguely. Anyway. Uh, so this place, this laundromat, the owners lived on top of it. Mm-hmm. They're the ones, undoubtedly, who perpetrated this horrible blasphemous act. It wasn't some other laundromat person. That also wouldn't work for how the story's going to go. Yeah. Uh, but they lived above it. And that night, oh well, the place caught fire. Oh my god. Mysteriously. And so impossibly hot that the doors were welded shut and no one could escape. Oh my god. Yeah. So the version I heard, <laughs> the version I heard had lightning striking the laundromat and no one dying and nothing catching on fire. So this was like definite an escalation here, from from what I remember. But it's interesting to see how certain tellers very easily you can just like ramp up the intensity or ramp it down, right? Oh my! Let me tell you, this story has so many things wrong. With have it. you have you not heard it? No, okay. I'm, I'm gobsmacked. Oh, I heard on TikTok, a TikTok I like said, I'm flabbergasted. Not flabber, like, like I'm flabbergasted, I'm flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted by this story. Um, so many things wrong with this story, but it totally tells everything about the culture and the teller of the story, right? Mm-hmm. They just open themselves up. It's kind of like Stephanie Meyer's book's Twilight. You can't really dig deep into Twilight. We can dig deep into her the stuff <laughs> she put in the book. Word. I can read that woman, but I can read those books. So, bless her. Bless her. Um, several things wrong. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the punishment is disproportionate <laughs> to the crime. So, let's imagine what it would be like to live in a world where someone mocking your religion is punishable by death. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. That is crazy. Not only that, not only that, but the missionaries are totally implicated in this murder because they were the ones that dusted their feet off at the place. Also, they left their clothes. They did leave their clothes. So, I mean, I'm not what a victim blame here, but why were you making an appointment on (laughs) P-Day? Rule broken number one. I do. So so there is an interpretation to this story, and it is kind of horrific, is that... It was totally done by mistake. They hung up their... They just thought they were being nice. They just, like... They left their clothes out there, so they hung them up to dry because other people wanted to use the washer, right? And the missionaries misinterpreted what they did, were pissed, 
dusted their feet off at the laundromat, which then catches it on fire and murders everyone inside, right? Oh, yeah. I also you know what I mean? Thought, no, I also thought about how another implication of the story is, like, don't you dare leave your stuff unattended because people's lives will be taken. Um, but this is funny, and I'm going to tie it in because I love this story because men throwing temper tantrums just... Oh, God. <laughs> I was... <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you gonna dust dust your feet off of them. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna do it. They say dust you're gonna do it because you know I, there's no going back. That was they, okay. Like I joke, but like that was really serious. That was like a big deal in my mission. Like oh, it was. That was like oh, we don't actually do that. That's way too harsh. Like 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 that's how we felt about it. Let me okay. Two huge points. So I'm gonna get to one. I'm gonna get to another, and they're gonna tie together like a little triangle. Ding 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 ding. So when I was at BYU Idaho, we did laundry in a shared laundry room for our apartment. So our apartments were like half men, half women, and we shared a laundry area. There was a young man who had left his clothes in the dryer and didn't come and get them. So a woman had come to do laundry and she just put his took his clothes out and put it put them somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This man who was a young college student came in, saw his dried clothes no longer in the laundry. I sh- I'm kid you not. I'm not pulling your leg. He lost his skittles. He went crazy. He was screaming. He was yelling. He was muttering under his breath. He was venting. He was enraged. So I'm wondering if he's a man in the story. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if he's a man in the story. <laughs> so there's that, there's that piece of the story. So this man is like, it was so bad that he had two friends with him who were trying to get him to stop and then apologize to me and my friend for having to witness a temper tantrum. It was so embarrassing. That part of the story. Second part of the story. Let me tell you, it's very, very interesting, the gender of the people in the story, because as women in the church, you face disrespect on a constant basis, even in your dreams, in your nightmares. And the way that we respond to injustices that face us rarely are met with equal energy. So I think that it's very telling that in this male missionary fantasy... Yeah, we have power to burn things buildings. (laughs) But I know women who have had the unspeakable happen to them and justice is never served. All the time. And so it's so funny because my mind doesn't even go. When I was a Mormon person, and one of the reasons that helped get me out was just realizing that, like, nothing was going to be done about certain situations as a woman and as an indigenous woman, as a Native American woman. But it's so, like, tee-hee-hee speaks to the entitlement that for men in the church, they're like, oh, no, hell no, they're going to get what's come to them. So it's just kind of funny to me. Like, this man threw a temper tantrum because his laundry was moved. But as a woman at BYU, Idaho, you're literally getting demeaned, harassed, and overlooked. Um, and full-on assaulted <laughs> on, like, a regular basis. Do, do, do women talk about shaking off the dust of your boots or whatever? Is that a thing that you talk about at all on the mission? A little, a little bit. Um, just the concept that someone would get what was coming to them was never even thought of yeah i would say that oh there's a lot there's a lot of just come up it's coming yeah i mean as a getting in the lord's way yeah 
how you worded that because that's exactly what it is. It's so funny to me because you're reminded of your own insignificance as a woman in the church on such a constant basis that even when you're faced with injustice, you don't even think. You're like yeah. subtly aware that God does not care about you <laughs> and no one else does. And so to be, okay, this is going to sound sad, but I'll make it funny to have someone treat you with consideration and kindness would like put me to tears <laughs> as, a, as a woman in the church, not even as a missionary, but as a woman, like I remember this guy at Boo, Idaho, like had a conversation with me without being weird. And I was like, Oh my God, that man's incredible. Like, he is the Messiah. Like, it's just, it's, but it's just funny to me when men are faced with, men in the church are faced with, like, the slightest discrimination. And it's so funny because, yeah, in what universe where someone making fun of your religion or being disrespectful towards your spirituality, towards your faith, warrants death? Like, that's insane. Yeah, no, it's... And again, not every version of this story obviously has the death outcome, right? <laughs> but it's the most extreme. It's the most extreme. Like I said, the version I heard did not did not go... It's just tamped down, right? But, but that's... All these stories can and are ramped up or ramped down, right? Depending on the audience and the, the teller, right? Some people really like to be extra vindictive. And I think that bleeds through, unfortunately, sometimes. In behavior, you know, it reminds me of that story in the Bible, the kids that get eaten by bears. Oh, yeah. Making fun of the prophet. It's the same story. Yeah, go up by bald head. No, it yeah, is. Yeah, the, anecdot- the anecdotal, it's the same story. It's just told in a modern Mormon version. Yeah, no, I mean, mocking someone's, someone for their garments is very similar to mocking the prophet for his bald head. What happened to all those kids? They got ripped into pieces, you know, well. Mauled by bears. If God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, then bears out of the woods are an option, you know. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) No, it's just, it's so funny to me, the Mormon legends, missionary legends, because look who often is the gender of the hero. And look yeah. who often is the gender of the villain well, or the not, idiot. <laughs> not only that, but the, the elders are meant to feel empowered, right? That they have this power. If they if they were to, you know, dust their feet off someone, like you really are cursing them. And don't, don't ever curse them. It's weird. It's, it's weird. so weird. But I, I think it's definitely something I can look back on now. And these are specifically mission stories, right? Stories that would have been told on a mission or I, we heard on our missions or whatever. There are tall tales all over the church, right? Like if you ever go to like, pine, oh my gosh, pioneer stuff is wild, super wild. And even local congregation stuff, you'll have tall tales local to your region. And every single time it reveals different things. And I think overall, looking back on it, I think there's a lot of insecurity, honestly. I do too. You know, and that is what it is. Nothing we can do about it now. I know. I I agree, but it also kind of like, ooh, that reminds me, I mentioned it earlier, but I definitely think that now that I'm no longer in the church, my smelling of a lie is a lot better. Because when you're a Mormon, you're supposed to downplay that, you know? like yeah. Well, there's a lot of not trusting your own emotions, right? And that's kind of, 
we didn't really go into it tonight, but I think in some of the stories, there's a little bit, especially with the paternalistic stories where you have some authority figure, whether it's a bishop or a mission president who comes in and make things right, that it doesn't matter what you're thinking, like just he's going to come in and he's going to make things better for you in a way that you can't yourself because he has magic, you know? Yeah. Ugh. But I also do have a greater appreciation for actual things that are what I would consider to be magical out here in the real world, you know, like beautiful things that are true and not ma- <laughs> like friendship. It's like literally, I was about to say that. It's magic. <laughs> friendship is magical. Love is magical. Just cute things like, you know, just appreciating the world around us without there needing to be anecdotes, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of insecurities that you have, right? You have a lot riding on it, especially if you're a missionary. Like, you've given up so much. You you really want this stuff to work out to be true. And not just, like, a little bit true. You want it to be catastrophically true, you know, powerfully true. All worth it. Yeah. You want to be able to cause laundry mats to catch fire. You know? That would... You're doing the Lord's work. Because you just want to be... You just want to be right. You just want someone to tell you that you've been doing a good job. That's all you want. And it makes me me sad. But yeah, the, the power of stories. And the biggest thing I can't believe we didn't mention... All these stories really encourage the us versus them way of thinking. Yes. Yeah. They're the them. They're the other. They're the villains. And they're with Satan and we're good. And their existence is disposable in terms of the story. Yes. Right. Of course. They they aren't real people. All of all of the all they're always. What would you get like a caricature or something that stood up in order to be smacked down climactically Or, or converted. Or converted. or converted. Yeah, and then the moment they convert, they become a person. Exactly. Like the little murder lady who's yeah. willing to bake him a We don't care about her when she was trying to murder us, but now she's a, a an upstanding... And she's the current Relief Society president or something like that, which would be like the <laughs> most hilarious... so and, true, though, when they throw that out there. Like. No, absolutely they would. And then, and then like, you, they're taken away and they're like... Something about that lady makes me wonder if she should be the Relief Society. But I hope she's not. Oh, she's not in charge of the Ward Christmas dinner. You know. How many people she attempted to kill for no reason? And also, it is so 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 funny because most of the time crime is hyperpersonal. So it's very very interesting. The, I mean, the story is just utterly not true because people don't kill people they don't know very often. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when women commit crime. I just, I just, I just like really the fact know. that like she went through the trouble to bake a cake, you know. It would be if it had been successful. This woman would be charged with <laughs> two counts of first degree murder. She'd be doing life. She'd be doing life <laughs> I didn't mean to do it. It's like you bake the cake. And it's of a course, good cake. We, I love that you brought up how they're not really people until they get baptized. Because for me, right, as someone who does mental health, I'm thinking, what? why does she hate Mormons so much? Let's get the root of this story. But that's never talked about. The people who are prejudiced are just 
prejudice. They're a cartoon. They're They're one-dimensional. They don't have a backstory. They don't have a reason. They don't have an experience. They don't have motive. They just are. Again, when you hear these stories, you should think of them as fairy tales. You should consider them parallel to Little Red Riding Hood. Yes. Except you're supposed to believe them. And that's kind of fun and interesting and academic, even if it does come from a little bit of a funny in a sad way kind of place. (laughs) (laughs) Also, something that you had mentioned at the very beginning, because the Bible is taken Mm -hmm. for Christian people. I want to specify that is specific to Christian people because Jewish people who use the Torah do not take it literally. It is not a literal book to them at all. Um, there might be some exceptions, but pretty much blanket statements from Dr. Steve Hassan himself, who's a practicing Jewish person. Um, so it's a really a unique Christian mutation <laughs> to take the Bible as both literal and figurative. And yeah. I mean, different cultures have very different relationships to their own scriptures. We, we like to assume that it's all the exact same, but... You know, a lot of a lot of Christians consider the Bible to be self-evident and not a lot of other faiths necessarily believe their scriptures to be that way. And it's interesting. I agree. And also at the beginning, when you're talking about the different types of stories, that is more Eurocentric in perspective, because like you said, different cultures interpret stories differently, language differently. So, for example, in several indigenous languages, literal and figurative does not matter it there isn't there isn't both at the same time it's like doesn't matter who what (laughs) what's the point (laughs) they just care about they care about the point here and stories in many indigenous languages are circular you begin with the ending why does the you know why does this happen and so for mormon stories there definitely is that structure of a beginning middle ending end but the message is like we've been discussing, the most important part. Yeah, and it's also it's also kind of a facet of English and German stories as well. You you didn't get my full lecture on uh, <laughs> how we tell stories is very different depending on the language we speak and how our language functions, like mechanically. Word. Oh, you know what uh, I just thought? Oh my god! Huge breakthrough moment connection. <laughs> the way that these stories, these legends, are told is that the build-up to the conclusion is at the very, very end. So you're kind of on this little wild ride until you get the purpose. And I hate that because that was my experience in the church period. It was like this weird wild ride. And then I was like, wait, this was at the end? Well, <laughs> like, well uh. and, this, and this won't terribly surprise you, but the Book of Mormon is written that way. What's the story of how is the story of Korahor structured? Right? It's a wild ride. It's a wild ride, and he goes all over the place, right? And then they finally corner him because he's telling people, like, don't believe in the foolish traditions of your father, all this stuff, right? And Alma corners him, right? Says that, like, this is always really weird with the Alma story. Can we? This is segue. This is real, <laughs> real deep, real deep, so deep in the Mormon tall tales. We're in the Book of Mormon itself. <laughs> the origin. Don't you like it how Alma talks to Korhor and is just like, you shouldn't seek for a sign. Ignoring the fact that Alma was struck dumb, like had an angel appear in front of him. 
Hypocrisy be hypocrisy. And that's how, anyway, regardless. Okay, so Korhor uh, is struck, you know, with the power and confesses. Remember what he confesses? He's like, oh, I knew all along it was Satan. Satan tricked me. But I knew all along it was true. And then he's like, you know, struck dumb and trampled by a horse, I think. Yeah, uh, it's wild. Way. It's wild from start to finish. Um, it's very simplistic if you really look at it, right? It kind of teaches one thing, and there's kind of a build-up to it. Yeah, the the well, and that's because because do you know why it's written that way? It's because the Book of Mormon was dictated orally. Joseph Smith dictated the book, and it was written down. And if you're dictating something, right, it's going to sound a whole lot like a tall tale that's told orally as well. You're exactly right, and it's one of the many reasons why, from a literary standpoint, the New Testament is superior to the Book of Mormon for the umpteenth reason, but it's because you have several books in the New Testament, specifically about the life of Jesus, that do not go in that wild ride structure well, at it's, all. It's also, so also, you have to remember, like, the, the Testaments were oral tradition for a long time before they were written down, so... They've had several different tellers. The story has been refined. It's the themes have percolated kind of to the surface. Whereas the, whereas the Book of Mormon was not told from generation to generation. It was just dictated all at once, right? That's from also a culture. reason. Keep going. Sorry, just from one culture, too. Oh, yeah, one yeah, from one culture, culture. too. Um, and, like, you know, that's a, one reason why there's, like, very few names in the Book of Mormon, you know, or, like, a name is used and then kind of discarded just because... If you're keeping it all in your head, you know, you want your names to be disposable and stuff. That's fair. That's really solid. That's really deep. And I'm happy for that perspective and that take, because with this, with the legends and the folklore, the way that Mormons present it, like I told you, like I just had that like breakthrough moment, um, because I tend to talk pretty circular is I like those stories that are tend to be African indigenous and also native Americans to North and South America and Polynesian stories. They are going to lead with this ending. I'm going to tell you the ending right now. <laughs> like why the, why is a Fox red? Here we go. Like we're on this journey now to get to this point. Um, also, I love stories that are a wild ride, but I don't when they're presented in this false way, which is why we have this episode. <laughs> well, also, also a conclusion I might like to bring home is that there's this expression, right? Where it's like, if someone tells you who they are, listen. Mm -hmm. And these really weird stories reveal things about Mormon culture and its insecurities and its true reality of the culture yes. in ways that you wouldn't get other ways, right? Because it's able to tell it very honestly and earnestly, right? The xenophobia is like very evident, and, and not only that, but why? Why are we afraid? It's like, well, we're afraid that our religion might not be true or that other religions might be true instead of ours or that we don't have power. We don't have the mystical power that we're supposed to have, right? Like those, those themes are in every single story. And it's just kind of nice and human to have that be revealed, I think. I totally agree. It helps kind of make the mission a little less traumatizing to de-traumatic de some of the stories. And then also some of the stories were, I mean, with the, like the gas tank being water and oh, those silly sisters. <laughs> it, it, but, it's a, uh, but, 
but at the same time being a inspirational story about how miracles happen you know if you flip it but it's also that story's in there i believe to serve the purpose of don't get upset if miracles don't happen to you oh yeah because that's also don't put, too also don't put water in your gas tank. exactly like it says don't but also don't be upset when practical things occur and it is this because of what is another insecurity that the the miracles and the promises that the church gives you might not happen. Yep. So I think that's a great, excellent, excellent point. <sighs> Do you have any final thoughts? Oh, that no, that's, that's kind of it. I hope people like this kind of content. <laughs> this we'll is see. the first this is the first academic one that you've let me on for. So <laughs> I'm always ready. I'm always ready. Who would you like to close in the name of Methuselah? <laughs> oh, man, I'm trying. I mean, we got in the, in the story of tall tales. I think we need to close in the name of Harry Kane, right? Harry Kane. Who? What? Who is he? Tell us. Who I'm sorry, Kane, uh, the son of Adam and Eve. Oh. But, but but the Harry version, who is Bigfoot? Oh my God, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Right? And I the think church. that's right. As tall as a man is sitting on a horse. He was at eye level when I looked at him. Oh my god. I think that's who we have to close the name of. That's the OG, yeah. We close the name of Bigfoot Kane. Because he's a real person. No, yeah, no. Bigfoot Kane. Kane. (laughs) All right, we say these things in the name of Bigfoot Kane. Amen.